Welcome to The Gap, where it's our mission to bridge the gap between javelin and baseball training styles. I'm Bret Hart, founder of Hitman Performance, head training conditioning coach at Grind Athlete Performance, and ex-collegiate baseball player turned powerlifter. And I'm Dan Labadia, javelin coach at Southern Connecticut State University and the man behind Jack Javelin. Hope you guys enjoy the show. So today, Brett is going to be talking to us about the importance of feminine and masculine energy in baseball and, and javelin. So what does this mean to you? Because you're the first person that's explained it to me in this way. Like, I've never thought about it like this before. I know what you mean, like, just by, by hearing it. You know, it's kind of like you have that, um, you have that wiry, like, relaxed throwing capability or hitting capability, and then you also need to be, like, strong and powerful. So, like, how do you combine the two? But that's just, like, from the outside perspective, someone who hasn't thought about it from this feminine versus masculine lens before. So why don't you walk the audience through a brief synopsis of what you what you think this means? Yeah, the easiest way to explain it, I actually didn't come up with this. I learned, learned this from the Power Plus guy. I actually don't even know his name, but it was on... People, sorry, but people have been roasting him recently. Because hey, his, his training is kind of crazy. It's like yeah. all like, it's like, it's a high neuro rate stuff yeah. that he's dealing with really high level athletes. So they'll, they'll get better regardless. But he, I kind of like his approach because he doesn't really care. Like he likes when people hate on him. Yeah. Like you, you have to embrace it. You have to, like if you want like high level success and dealing with high level athletes, you got to do some stuff that looks a little wonky and weird. And to the people that are just on the couch, like haven't done really anything athletic in their life. Eating McGriddles. Eating Mc, eat, eat McGriddles <laughs> and taking a nap. <laughs> Me? But like the best way to explain this is like the movie Beauty and the Beast. It's like you got the beauty ooh, and you got the beast. Ooh, ooh, the beast. I don't know we were talking about our love story. <laughs> you guys can decide who's the beauty and who's the beast. But you need to be both in terms of just athletic development. And yeah, we talk a lot about baseball and javelin, but I think this applies to a lot of different sports. No, it doesn't. This is the gap. This is the gap. <laughs> only baseball, only javelin. <laughs> if you don't play those sports, shut up. <laughs> Turn this episode off now. Turn it off. Unfollow. No, don't unfollow. I need those. But um, like when you think of the beast energy, like the masculine side, you're going to think of your classic footballer. So you're going to think of high amounts of muscle mass, guys that are really strong, really powerful, that can exert a lot of force and get pretty good results with it. But then when you look at the game of football, there's a lot of elusive uh, components to it that you have to be able to understand and actually see and know how to operate like that. So you can be a big bowling ball of just meat and be really strong in the weight room and have really good outputs, really good numbers, but that doesn't always transfer to the field. So I noticed that a lot in baseball. Like for me, like I got really strong, I got really powerful, but I was really stiff. And like I would get like performance anxiety, which we talked about, like would stiffen you up even more. And you weren't able to loosely express those like components in your game. Like you have all these strength metrics in the weight room, but when you go in the field, where do they go? Like you can hit 95 off a tee, but you can't hit an 85 mile an hour fastball down the middle. It's like what's where's the disconnect? So when you think of the masculine energy, you need it in order to actually have qualities that are usable in the sport like you like everyone knows like you want to get faster you want to get stronger you need to jump higher jump further sprint faster all those things which are great but you don't want to muscle it up so when you tend to muscle it up and become two of that masculine energy that's when you have a lot of the 
issues of people that look really good but play really bad. Like, that's just how I've seen it and how I've mentioned before, like, the Dominican Republic, like, baseball players down there that don't have access to high-level weight rooms like we do, but they're much more elusive and much more fluid on the field because they just have a lot more fun with it. So that's when you can categorize it into the beauty energy or the feminine energy of having it much more elusive and having it be the rhythm. So this is where you're like your skips, your bounds, um, your animal-based ground movements like bear crawling, uh, being able to have adequate amounts of uh, thoracic T-spine uh, rotation and being able to move your spine and actually make those plays. Because if you see like a bowling ball stiff shortstop, they're not gonna really be used in that sense. Like they just can't. So that's why you need both. And I like trying to blend both of like ballet versus football. Like ballet requires a lot of strength, but it's not the strength that you're used to seeing in a weight room. Like ballet dancers don't do power cleans and hand cleans and snatches and barbell bench 225. Mm -hmm. But what they can do is be on their toes for hours on end, just on their toes being have extremely high levels of core control, body awareness, spatial awareness, being able to spin and not get dizzy. So that works their vestibular system and their brain, being able to reorient themselves on the floor, being able to remember all the moves and all the steps to it. So there's definitely a strength in it, but it's not what like the American tradition of strength looks like, right? They're not doing Rocky training. They're doing something completely different. So that's where that comes into play. And that's what helps a lot of those stiffer guys. So like if they're super stiff and soup like just they just can't move very well, but they have all the weight room numbers that we're chasing, mm. that's when they can start implementing a lot more. That movement based, ground based, uh, spinal flow, spinal hygiene, strength through length stuff that you've talked about a lot, of trying to just become a better mover overall. So when you're talking about how the ballet uh, dancer needs to kind of memorize like her routine, right? What aspect of the masculine energy comes out in a player when they're trying to, for example, like if a football player is trying to memorize a play, um, or not trying to memorize a play, but like say they're out on the field and they forget the play call, or like they have the play call, but they don't know what their role is or whatever. What does that like neurologically do, if you know the answer to this, like what does that do to like your ability to perform when you like you're in that mode of like, you don't, I don't know what the play is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Or like maybe even in baseball, like I know that at the higher levels, they have more plays than like at the lower levels. But like, you know, in Javelin, we don't have that. We just throw it as far as we can. Chuck the spear, baby. But like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, what's the feeling you get when you get a test in school and the first question, you have no idea what the answer is. What, what do you feel in that, in that Nervous. exact moment? Nervous. Nerves are very high. You're like, it could just be the one question, but because it's number one, you're like, fuck, this whole test, I'm gonna bomb. Like, that's pretty much the first thought that goes in your head of like, oh man, I, like, I'm so regimented in like knowing what my play is exactly, and the first one, I don't know, it kind of ruins the rest of the game, or ruins the rest of the test. Like, you, because a, a game is just a test. It's a testing of what you've done in practice and what you've done throughout your years, that's where you go express like all the hard work you put in. Because practices are way harder than games, by far. But what makes the games very difficult is that it's going at 100% and the mental side of it gets a lot uh, more involved because you're trying to win. Yeah. So now the practice is, if the practice is done right, it will speed you up and get you more prepared for game day. But there's a lot of practices that don't do that, that just go through the motions 
people don't take practice as seriously sometimes. They think they'll be all right. And then when it comes to game day, they just weren't prepared well enough. What I think, like really great football players, like Patrick Mahomes, I think has a lot of that feminine energy because the way he's able to, if the play breaks, he doesn't just go down. Like if the play like is completely covered and he has no one to throw to, he can scramble, he can move, he can make something happen. That's why he gets so much of the hype and praise that he does is because he's not so robotic. He's very elusive on the field. Lamar Jackson's another one. Um, I don't watch football that much, but like higher level quarterbacks that can use their feet, our game, our game uh, playmakers that are able to move around. Kyrie Irving in basketball is one of those guys that can freestyle, that just knows how to just move however he needs to move to get a bucket. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, that's your whole objective. Football, you're trying to score. Baseball, you're trying to get a hit. Uh, basketball, uh, whatever. Like you know the sport. Like the whole objective is to score. So for them, I notice a lot with baseball guys is the person, I was this person. It's like you use your masculine energy, you rely on your strength a lot, you rely on your mechanics, and like that's it. Like strength and mechanics, that was it. So when you're in the box and that's all you're thinking about, like if the pitch is, if it's two strikes and you have to make a, like just try to get the barrel on it, you probably aren't going, you're probably just gonna strike out because you just don't have any type of that fluidity to adjust to the pitch that's coming in. And Vladimir Guerrero, not junior, senior, was very good at hitting like terrible baseballs. Like they're not even close to the strike zone, but he's able just to get the bat on it and you can get a hit. So sometimes it's better to be lucky than good in baseball because you can do everything right and still get out. So not worrying about the mechanics so much and just letting your body just be fluid and in a rhythmic sense of just getting the result that you want. Like you want to get a hit or you want to get the bunt down or you want to steal second or you want to make a pitch, whatever it is, you just got to compete at that point and not let those emotions tense you up and get nervous. Mm. But it's funny, like, the play calling stuff, too, because sometimes if you're just really dumb, the coaches will, like, make it really easy for you. Like, Cam Newton was one of those guys. <laughs> and Cam Newton, Cam Newton, it was so fun. I, I heard this in a Madden. Um, I was watching a Madden playthrough, and so they had a story of Cam Newton in it where he literally just did a two-read offense. So he did left or right. So if you look left, he had two options because he couldn't read the whole field. He, like, he just couldn't, like, wrap his head around it. So he's like left or right, looks left, maybe fakes it sometimes, looks right, whatever, throw the defense off. And if those two weren't open, you just run. <laughs> that, was, that, was the, that was his game. Yeah. That, and like, it worked that year, but then when you get exposed to um, the Super Bowl, like when he lost, didn't really work out too well for him because the defense was really good. And then he just fizzled out after because he just wasn't able to wing it sometimes. He would need to either be one, two, or run. And if the defense can pick that up, yeah. then it's, in the NFL, a, like, that's yeah. usually like... That was like us in high school football. It was like we had uh, the city was left and then the state was right. So if we did like, if it was, if we called the play Hartford, it was like Hartford, Connecticut, and then be like run the same play. The same play would be happening on the left. And then if we called it right, like Connecticut, it would be the same thing just up to the right side. So it's like what, just the direction that the quarterback would roll to, but the routes were exactly the same. Yeah. So it was like, who was more likely to get thrown to? Because obviously, probably not going to throw it across field. But I wonder if there's like a, if we could run a study on like feminine energy in, in throwing athletes and direct correlating that to hip shoulder separation. Because that's something that like, from what I've seen, anybody who's been like very uh, fluid and rhythmic and um, elastic 
and has that like kind of feminine like aura to their throw and just like that relaxation aspect that you're talking about has had very good hip shoulder separation such as like Patrick Mahomes even like Jordan is like you know because I'm definitely more of like the the masculine like brute strength type of like that like fired up all the time and we always talk about how Jordan was like more relaxed didn't really care that much about the sport in the in the beginning and just used that to his advantage and was able to just get like the best hip shoulder separation I've ever seen and like I just I wonder if that's like a if there's a direct correlation there because yeah like, I mean yeah. a lot of people like using the table tests like the test range of motion and like see like how much they actually have to use and in my opinion the guys that you perceive as stiff like I'm sure if you get them on the table their numbers aren't that far off yeah, that's like me like I, I I've gotten to the point even since I was 20 when I started working with Kevin I'm it's about like four or five years I've been pretty mobile since I ran mobility ability for the first time, but it never translated directly to my throw. Like that's something that I've had to still practice. Mm -hmm. Like obviously I have the ability to hit those positions now or before I didn't, but it's still a reps game and still a feel thing that I had to work on and still technique and stuff. Like my table test, like I have more than enough mobility, like in my shoulders and hips and spine. And that's never been my issue. It's just my natural throwing ability and my overall amount of uh intentional reps is just extremely low compared to other throwers who are either naturally better or um or just throw for have thrown for a much longer time mm-hmm. um i'm forgetting his name but there is a, a mixed martial artist that i think he was a boxer actually jackie chan. not jackie chan no not jackie chan there is a i think he was a boxer that he um, he took two years off of training for boxing, and he just did this like, Romanian dance. Like that's all he practiced was just dancing for two years, and then when he came back to boxing, he was unstoppable because his footwork and his movement and his he looked like he was dancing around on the uh, in the ring, and I think that just translates really well to like, what we're talking about is that he must have been someone that was very masculine dominant, that he would just rely on punch, 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 just rip. That's gonna slow you down if that's what you're thinking of relying on your hands. Mm -hmm. But boxing, like in my experience, is all footwork. You have to be light on your feet and you have to know how to dance around your opponent. That's pretty much all it is and being quick with the strikes. Like the greatest boxers, like if you watch people that aren't like the really fat big ones like Tyson Fury, like the lighter weight guys that can move really well. Like they, like it looks like they're dancing on air a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Like Manny Pacquiao was one of them. Floyd in his prime was really like that. Tyson, as much as he was like force dominant, he did know how to move his feet really well and his head movement was really good. Ali was probably the best example I could use. I just thought yeah. of him. I've always thought about, I always liked Ali's, um, Ali's saying like float like a butterfly, sting like a bee and, yeah. and applying that to javelin because it's like during the, during the carry phase into the drawback into the crossovers you want to be super relaxed and rhythmic and whatever and then when you hit the block you want to be like super powerful so i always like to say that too yeah it's like through the crossovers and stuff you're floating like a butterfly and then the throw is like stinging like a bee yeah i mean the same thing with like a hitting load if you want to load up to hit like you don't want to rush the load like really yeah. fast that's what i was saying tracking. about Cade. same thing yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Rushes. Yeah, he rushes. Yeah, I was saying from the from the time he picks up his foot because he's trying to like compete with the, the kids that are better than him. He like tries to rush the whole throwing motion, and then 
it's like you're accelerating and then accelerating again. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Jake and Andrew are just like loading nice and smooth and then they have that hip the shoulder last, separation the last in the second, last. They turn yeah. it on. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of baseball players, especially guys, I don't know how prevalent it is in softball. I feel like they they do a lot better job of it, of just knowing well, they also throw underhand, but there's a rhythm to it as well. And like getting the rock back just right. Mm-hmm. And they go slow really. A lot of them do speed it up. But I know from just like a baseball pitching perspective, like on the mound, like the wind up a lot of guys are much more comfortable in the windup because they can take their time than they are the stretch. Mm. But the guys that I noticed are more tapped, like they're a little bit wired different, like they need the go, go, go kind of guys, kind of like how me and you are. They would prefer the stretch because there was no thinking. It was just lift the light, go. Like they would, like no one on. They would still well, that's why the like a lot of closers throw from the stretch compared to um, starters, right? Yeah. Like starters, because they, they have, starters have to take their time and they're going to be pitching five to seven innings usually unless they go the whole game that's yeah. over 100 pitches so they can't really go all out there and like be 100 percent every single throw like with their wind up they need to they need to have that cadence and pace to stay consistent in their head closers they got 20 pitches probably max yeah like, do joking. closers throw like multiple pitches or do they just have like usually like one or two it's usually like one to three usually okay like what do starters closers, have starters probably have around five they have more variability, more options, because they're going for longer. They see a lot more batters. They see the same batter over and over again. Like if they go the full game, they get to see the same batter three times. Mm-hmm. So if all you have is three pitches, it makes it really easy for the hitter. And especially if one of them's like not that good, they can kind of just eliminate that and then break it down to two. So when the hitter's up there and they have that advantage, it's just a 50-50 shot. Still really hard to hit, but any type of advantage in Major League Baseball is huge. But yeah, starters usually probably have around five like two variations of fastballs, a changeup, something that moves, like uh, slider, curveball, slurve. Like slurve. It's, a, it's the combination yeah, of slider. I remember there was like this kid uh, that pitched in uh, Little League who was like, he just threw gas and like, I'm pretty sure he ended up like tapping out at like late high school, early college at like low 80s, like 82, 83, but like in Little League, he was like nasty. He's six foot. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, well, that's how it was though, bro. It's like even people that like, uh, I don't know what their pull downs were and stuff, but like people that were like nasty pitchers in our high school went on to college and always like just stayed low 80s. And I'm like, I could throw like faster than that now, you know? Yeah, a lot of the guy, they. It's just like back then, like I perceived yeah. it as like, oh my god, they throw gas, and now I'm like, I feel like I suck. Dude, it'd be so funny, like being like a dad in the stands, and like, just watching, like your kid comes out, it's like he's throwing so hard, and like, dude, I could take this guy a yard right now. Like, Come on, this guy sucks. It's like twelve, he's twelve years old. It's like, yeah, this guy stinks. Well, dude, slow I think that was like my biggest like claim to fame was that like my eleven year old year and twelve year old year, I hit home runs off the fastest pitchers in the league because they would just pump it down the middle. And I was just like confident enough to just swing. <laughs> Close my eyes. <laughs> you put the bat out there, so it'll hit something. Yeah, I mean, I did it though. It was sick. I remember for this day, Brendan Niebuhr and uh, Jared Gallagher took yep. the yard. Shout him out. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan Niebuhr is like a, pit, a baseball coach. I'm pretty sure for like PBR or something. Oh so, really? Yeah, he might be tuning in. He might, probably not. Remember, <laughs> I took you yard my last hit of Little League. <laughs> <laughs> Claim the fame, baby. Gotta hang it up. Get the ball up, baby. Yeah. He went to the same college as me too. Sorry. Oh, really? Yeah, Southern. Yeah. Like, um, 
there's a lot of pitchers that I think resemble a lot of like the feminine energy that I'm talking about. They probably, I, I really haven't heard this explained. I've always saw it and like I always knew like what it was, but I never really understood like how to explain it. And then like listening to the podcast and like how we broke it down of like, there are the two energies. What po- oh, the Power Plus the, podcast. The Power Plus one, yeah. So there are two energies in it. And like when you think of it too, like that can apply to like a lot of different things, like feminine energy, like you can associate that with like poetry, but yeah. then in masculine energy, it's rap. Philosophy. Yeah, philosophy. <laughs> philosophy, that's it. Philosophy. But like feminine, like Muhammad Ali was an amazing poet. Like his, his post fight interviews, like he would be saying poetry. Like, it, it, like that's just how he was. That's how his brain operated. And so I think that could also help him having the rhythm and flow into it as well. And then for the masculine side, a lot of the guys, like meditation would be more so like feminine side, flexibility, yoga, mm. like everything that like gets that bucket filled. A lot of the guys that are like way over too far to the masculine side, like they just like won't even bother with it. Like they just think it's just like, I don't want to say gay, but they think it's that. Like they just like, that's how the society is like, oh, yoga, <laughs> pansy, like, yeah, soft. Was soft, yeah. But then when you look at them, like, try to move, like, doing a 5 10, 5 they're running, like, Roblox yeah. characters. And, like, they just don't have anything, like, yeah. to them. Like, how about we try? Like, and a lot of the guys, too, that have, like, really high stress. Like, for masculine energy, like, they're just really stressed out, like, mm-hmm. a lot of the times. Because I think they also use their strengths, their power, their size. They use that as, like, a sim- like a like a value. Um what's the word status symbol like they use it as a status symbol like that's their identity and like a lot of guys fall into that bucket like I know in high school like I was one of those guys that like my weight room numbers were me like I was like I only get friends if I squat X amount of weight or like that's how I would think would be like they only like me because I'm strong or like because I lift a lot of weights like that's just like my thing I'm that type of person like I only like the, the weight room but there's also it took me a while to realize that there's much more than just like weight room numbers and like no one cares mm-hmm. like not a single person cares like only your strength coach really cares just to see if you're getting stronger but because a kid fails a lift or not doesn't mean i value him less but to that kid that could be his entire world like if he doesn't trap our 500 like he could stand stone he's one of those guys like if he failed a lift his whole day his whole week might be ruined so and then girls i don't feel value that strength side as much that's why i think they get a lot more benefit from the strength stuff and I want, I want girls training more just to like see the value of it and gain more confidence that way. But then they also have the feminine energy already there because they just, like, especially if they've grown up with a background in gymnastics or doing stuff like that where they have high amounts of body awareness and body control mm-hmm. and they know, like, how to move their body, adding a strength component to it will only help them. A lot of the guys, some, like... Do you think girls need a lot of variation? I don't think anyone needs a lot of variation. I think... In a weight room sense, yeah, I don't think there needs to be a lot of variation at all in just a weight room thing. Like, like the main compound lifts and a couple accessories. Like, if you do those a lot, like yeah. Ortel is probably one of those guys that just does through like ten movements maybe, and he he messes around with Olympic lift variations just for the sake of lifting it. Like he's just messing around because he's strong shit. Like he would do whatever he wants, like throw it over his head, catch it in like a bazooka or whatever. Like for the most part, like majority of people, like if they get really good at 20 exercises, like their game will improve a lot. 
and the very vari- the variation should come from the movement side of things, like of different types of crawls, different types of uh, acceleration starts, different ways of changing direction. Because that's what sport is. Sports all vary. Sports every every play is a variation. Like nothing goes exactly how you practice all the time. Yeah. Like everything's going to change. So just finding a way to vary that side of things, and then keeping them the lifts relatively simple like it's the lifting doesn't need to be complex or crazy like you don't need a, a huge elaborate system if you do it long enough it'll work like if you're consistent and you do it long enough it will work like i like i i do the same like exercises rel- like pretty much every time I yeah because that's what i was gonna say is like i know for myself i didn't start really doing a lot of variation until probably like i don't know my senior year of college maybe I did like one month then I didn't really change up much I pretty much ran like a five by five five by four five by three program on repeat and then had a three-month power block you know and like I might have ran like two months of like higher volume over the summer and I just stuck to like squat bench deadlift as the season got closer I would swap the deadlift with the power clean and I got really like big and strong like that and You know, now that I'm in the field of like learning all this new stuff of like the drop catches and the, um, you know, the just different tempo work and band assisted, band resisted, like I think it's all really cool. And I think it does help someone like me who was used to training that style for a really long time and then kind of like, all right, like how do I break plateau and get better at something else? But so you're saying like in terms of like, you know, up until the age of like 22, 23, you think for those initial five years, they could pretty much just get away with like, just getting stronger in like 10 to 20 lifts. Literally, if they just stay consistent long enough, like you have to, it's a rite of passage to do cool stuff. Like EV's coach, Pitt Strong, I forget his name, Pitt something, it's Pitt Strength, I think, yeah. Instagram. He's, he has like a rite of passage program, I think. I think that's what he called it because I made a post about it. Like, you have to earn the right to do cool stuff. Mm. Like, you can't just expect to never train, like, ever before and go in the weight room and do stuff that I do. Like, I've been training since I was, like, 14. Like, I I have 10 years of training under my belt of, like, actually knowing, like, taking the time to, like, film every squat set and, like, make sure my depth's good. And, like, I know my depth now. Like, I know what to feel on a squat and I know how to deadlift and I know how to hinge properly and split squats and... Every main movement you can do, I've done hundreds of thousands of times, probably. Uh, and it's just because I've built such a huge base, and the base, like the larger the base, the higher the, the point can be. So I think the variation comes into play because kids get bored, and I, I was like that too. Uh, but it is cool to change stuff up, like every three to six weeks, like just to keep it fresh and keep it moving, like let them know. You can have different phases, like a hypertrophy phase, strength phase, power phase. You can do all that stuff. But if the kid does it for three weeks and then takes a month off, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. they just need to get in the gym and do it, like, more often than not. If you work out three times a week, no matter what you're doing, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's freaking F45, whatever, like, you're going to see results if you stay consistent with it. That's all it is. Um, but if they prioritize the lifts that actually produce the most results, which are like the squat bench deadlift, uh, Olympic lift variations if you're into those. But like if you just do everything that you know you should be doing, it's like diet, it's like nutrition. It's, exact, it's the same thing as, I just made that point, that connection in my head. It's exactly like nutrition. If you eat 
good for the most part. Like you look pretty, like you look better. Like it's not that it doesn't need to be like a super complex uh, keto paleo hybrid diet. Intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting, keto, uh, fat burner, testosterone boost. <laughs> you don't need all this stuff. Like, like just like kids are asking me yesterday at, at Notre Dame, like, should I take creatine? I'm like, dude, you're benching 95 pounds. The creatine won't help this. I was like, you need to work out more than once a week. Yeah. I was like, I was like, you need to do. I was, I was brutally honest with him. I was like, save your money. Like when you spend it on a gym membership, and when you do three times a week for a year, yeah. then you can start looking at supplements. Yeah. Like people have it backwards a lot of the times. So like, yeah. That's like I released my supplement guide, and like 100 people on it, like downloaded it or whatever, and it was like <laughs> the first opening paragraph. Sorry to disappoint you guys, but supplements will maybe and, and they had recovery tools like the red light and grass and stuff like that but like it was like this will account for like one to five percent of like your training like yeah not even extremely small amounts yeah. so like, that's like the thing is like like they're they're so focused on i guess that could be like the sprinkles of a cake but like they haven't baked the cake yet so you have no you have no cake to put these sprinkles on <laughs> like you just have you just have flour you have milk like it's not nothing's put together yet you have all the ingredients nothing's put together but you really just want to know where to put the sprinkles. Like, bake the fucking cake first. Like, like yeah. finish the cake. Fit it. Like, do actual strength conditioning training. Like, do it for long enough. And then you can start adding in, like, magnesium at night or she legit. Like, I take both of those. I actually take she legit morning and night, which I think is really, I, I like it a lot. But, um, like, I don't take anything. Cre- I take creatine in my pre workout. I take she legit and magnesium. Like, the three things I think work the best for me. Like, that's it. Like, and I still train three to four times a week. Yeah. It's not like, I try not to overcomplicate it as much as I used to. Yeah. I only take pretty, pretty much like pre-workout creatine right now. That's it. That's really all you need. I mean, I'm on a freaking dairy free diet too. So I don't even oh, take away no, anymore. No lactose. I have a plant-based protein now. That sucks. Tough, <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. Fairlife's fair lactose-free, though. Yeah, it's lactose-free, but it's something about, like, the um, the actual just dairy in it, like, because it still has whey protein. You just can't have it. Yeah. Bad it's, for my skin. Dude, you're going to get so small now. I know. going to shrivel up. But. Dude, the funniest thing were when the kids were, like, like Clay would open up his bag and have, <laughs> have literally a vitamin shop in his bag. It would be 10 different things. Every time Andrew Huberman... I love Andrew Huberman. And then he hops on the end, but he's like, 19? Yeah, yeah. Dude. Come on, like, man. What are we doing? 20% body fat? This thing's rigged. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, bro, you don't have abs and you can't see dude, your you've been on Dude, you've been on the end body five times the last week. It hasn't changed. Like, it's pretty accurate now. Like, you've done five, you have five case studies. It hasn't changed, bro. It's not, it wasn't a faulty reading. Like, you yeah. did it. It's been the exact same five times in a row. I was like, even Tag today was like, yeah, I did the Embody last month. I was like 11%. I cut back a little bit. I'm trying to be like eight. I'm like, dude, once you're like below 12%, like dropping 3% body fat in a month is hard. I was, like, I was like, you might be like 10. Yeah. You know? Dude, it's just, I, I looked the best I ever did in my life and I was 14. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, well, it just depends on like, how you carry your weight too because like someone like me i am i'm pretty tall and so like my my weight is spread thin on my body and i also just like carry weight very well in my midsection like i don't um 
I don't carry weight here versus like I carry it more on my hips and my back. So like yeah. if you see me carry it all here. If you see me from the front, like even if I'm at fifteen percent body fat, like my chest and my abs look pretty relatively lean. But then if you look at me from the side, like I start losing the delt definition and then like my hips like from the back I look terrible. But like chunky. Yeah. But then if I get down to like like thirteen or below, my back starts to like lean out a lot. But it's like people people are just carry weight differently. Yeah. But you got anything else to say on the masculine and feminine energy? That's it. You just need both. That's about it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. See you.